Hey Nine Lives listeners, my name is Kirithi Gopal and I'll be your host for today's episode. If you're new to Nine Lives or if you forgot, we're a student-run podcast dedicated to telling the true stories of Northwestern community members. Check out our past episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, or the podcast app. And as always, reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, or by email if you have a story of your own that you'd like to share. For our first episode of the fall, we're excited to be collaborating with I Am Shakti, a nonprofit organization founded partly by Northwestern students with the mission of fighting stigma around mental health in South Asian American communities, where the topic is often swept under the rug. Here's Weinberg Jr. and I Am Shakti spokesperson Rohan Chalasani with a little more information about the organization. So I Am Shakti was born in November 2017. And it was actually born out of the collective mental health challenges and experiences of mental health of six core organizers. So each of these people made up of students from Northwestern, um, both undergrad and the medical school campus, as well as students from Wisconsin, each had their own journeys with mental health. And through those journeys, became intimately aware of the stigmas and the, the perceptions of mental health within the South Asian community. And through their shared experiences, they had a, a joint resolve to try to do something to change that. And I Am Shakti started as a social movement um, to sort of fight these stigmas. And over time, the nonprofit component of providing hope and support was added to the organization as you know people started reaching out for help and as we realized that there was a need for that um, within the community as well. Growing up, Rohan was keenly aware of how members of his family struggled to acknowledge mental illness. And he saw that pattern in other South Asian spaces as well. We have this idea of like a model minority myth like here within the South Asian population in the United States. And again, like it only amplifies, you know, that idea of presenting like a, a seemingly perfect outward face to the to the outside world. Because when you think about it, like these immigrants, our family members, sometimes even ourselves have taken huge risks and giving have given up a lot, you know, just to come to this country. And so to accept, you know, something like a mental illness or a mental health challenge is accepting is affecting them is a, a difficult pill to swallow for a lot of people. Several members of my family have been affected by mental illness themselves and seeing how different groups in the family and also how these um, family members themselves reacted to their mental health challenges um, really opened my eyes to the stigmas that existed within our community. I could see how this perception of mental health challenges as a weakness really took its toll on them with them refusing again to seek therapy, take medication or even you know talk about what they were going through with with me. Um, And so when I came to college, I could see how, you know, the stigmas were affecting not only my family members, but the friends that I was surrounded by. And in the spring, I believe, of my freshman year, a South Asian student at Northwestern um, took their own life uh, because of mental health challenges. And I think that woke me up not only to the fact that these stigmas are, you know, a very real problem in our community, but also the fact that they have really tangible consequences that are affecting people on a daily basis. I Am Shakti started as an organization focused on Indian American experiences. Its name, which translates to I Am Power, had the double meaning Indian American Power. Now they've broadened their scope, working to stand in solidarity with all South Asian American communities. Today's episode is about the power of storytelling to fight stigma and motivate healing. We'll hear from three Northwestern students who have each been involved with I Am Shakti in some way, and they'll be talking about their personal experiences with and reflections on mental health and identity. So a quick content warning before we begin, this episode does contain discussion of depression, anxiety, body image, and eating disorders. Our first storyteller is Divya Sridhar. 
Weinberg Class of 2018 and current second year at Northwestern's Feinberg School of Medicine. Divya, who was one of I Am Shakti's original members, tells a story that investigates the intersections between gender, language, and mental health. A few weeks ago, I was having dinner with my friends at the Cheesecake Factory. And during every course of the meal, during appetizers, during the dinner, and during the desserts, two of my friends, both of whom identified as women, would say something like, I'm so full, or I can't eat anymore. And during dessert, one of our friends, who identifies as a man, actually called them out on it. And he said, one more time, y'all say, I'm so full, I'm going to start taking shots. And it was extremely funny at the moment, but I think afterwards I kept thinking about it for quite a bit and it really struck me because two years ago I struggled with an eating disorder and it started around the senior year of my high school and continued for approximately two years into undergrad. Luckily I sought therapy and was able to recover to the point I'm at right now. I still definitely struggle with some parts of it, but I think this circumstance was really interesting to me because I see people's relationships with food through the lens of having had an eating disorder. And it's not that I'm searching for that lens, but it's just that I have it now. And when I was reflecting on this circumstance, it was almost as if my friends were convincing themselves that they were too full to eat more, that they had consumed enough to maintain a certain body image, that they couldn't go over a certain calorie count, and that they were also convincing others that they, as women, were prim and proper and maybe didn't need any more food and shouldn't eat any more food. And as women, they don't pig out. And I think this quirk of saying I'm so full and saying that I shouldn't eat anymore is not the only quirk that I've seen when reflecting on women's relationships to food. I make no excuse for myself either. I know that I've also said things like I'm so full several times throughout a meal to convince myself. And it's because I've done all these things that I see and notice it a lot more in other people. It's quirks like having an app that you plug in to all the meals that you have in order to count your calories. It's chewing gum in order to feel like you're getting nutrients and that you're getting food, but you're actually not. It's eating small snacky foods that are low calorie in order to feel the same way, things like popcorn and goldfish and fruit snacks. It's drinking things like the zero calorie vitamin water, again, to make you feel like your tongue has something to taste, but your stomach is not getting any calories. And I see these quirks most often in women, and it's really easy to chalk it up to things in the media, things like actresses having a very narrow representation of a certain body image, Victoria's Secret models, and all the models that we see that, again, have a very narrow representation of what the female body should look like. But I think it's also important to reflect on the conversations that women are also having behind closed doors. This in no way is to blame women for having these types of conversations. Because, of course, we've been socialized to think this way by the media and by white male constructions of what our bodies should look like. But it's also important to be reflective and curious about what we're saying. And often when we think about our body image, we're thinking about what we want to present in ourselves to the world. And we're 
thinking about preparing to present ourselves to the world. So what conversations are we having during that preparation? An important circumstance I can think of is when a bunch of women are together getting ready before a night of going out. And one of us is doing our hair in front of the mirror next to someone else who's doing their makeup. One of us is at the full body mirror when we turn to the left and turn to the right and make sure our stomach looks thin enough and make sure that our boobs look a certain way and our butt looks a certain way. And when we don't feel like we look that way, we ask for affirmation and we say that we don't look good and we hope that someone will say, no, no, you look hot, you look great. We become anxious when we are having a bad hair day or a bad makeup day and everyone else is ready to go out and we're still not there yet. We're not at that standard of beauty that we want to be. But it's important, I think, to think about what that standard is and why we all seem to have a certain standard in mind and that standard seems to be very similar to one another. Why do we all have that one standard when we are getting ready together in a room? And I think something I've really struggled with in that kind of circumstance is women calling each other hot and that affirmation of, no, you look so hot, you look great. And what does hot mean in that circumstance? I think it's important to question what we perceive as hot. Are we just reconstructing white masculinity's version of hotness? Or are we actually reclaiming hotness for ourselves in order to mean confident and powerful and mean what we want it to mean? Our second storyteller is Thajiv Narayanan, a communications sophomore who got involved with I Am Shakti because of his personal experience dealing with social anxiety and growing up in a family where mental illness wasn't acknowledged. So first I want to clear up a couple of miscommunications as to what social anxiety is. A lot of people think that it's just shyness, and it's not. It's very, very different. Shyness is just not feeling ready to interact with people in a new situation, like when someone's around their crush or you know, just in something that they deem unfamiliar. The difference between that and long-term social anxiety, in social anxiety, everything is unfamiliar. Everything feels like you're talking to your crush for the first time. Even if you're just talking with your parents or a friend you've known for a very long time, you feel so hyper-aware, you're aware of almost everything, the way you talk, the way you look, certain things. If people's eyebrows are raised a half inch, you read into that way too much. And that's all day, every day, every single interaction that you have. I was living in a South Asian household growing up, and there's a lot of societal pressure in South Asian families. The whole idea is that success is measured by monetary or financial success. The whole point is to get out of college, get a good job, uh, start a family, raise good kids, and pass the prosperity on. The idea of emotions and like mental health doesn't really factor in. It just kind of gets in the way of progress. And there's this huge misconception that any form of emotional health, as long as it's invisible to everyone else, that means it's not important enough, it can't be a real problem. It's just kind of an, one of the ups and downs of life, which is not true at all. I'm just going to get that out of the way. I mean, nowadays, people do have it a bit easier, especially in America, just because there's this heightened awareness of mental illness. The stigmatization's kind of gone. But back then, it was more just kind of, uh, in the words of my father, he said... Stop saying things like you have a mental illness, because if you do, you're never going to be able to get a job. They're just going to clap you in a mental asylum, and that'll be the end of that. And I don't want that for my son. Maybe you're happy with that, but I'm not. And in a family where I was used to getting approval from my parents before everything, that was tough for me. 
because not only did it feel like I was drowning, I was unable to talk to people, I was scared all the time, it felt like the problem wasn't even real, it was all in my head, and that just made me feel even worse. So when I was growing up, and especially during my adolescence, social anxiety just really kind of slowly took over my life. It started with essentially nothing more than feeling shy, but it just kind of kept getting worse and worse and worse until to the point where I was actively doing things like avoiding people's eyeline. If there were certain people that I just didn't feel ready to talk to, which was most people, I was friendless and alone for most of my life, I would do things such as at my high school, I would find three or four routes to get to every single class that I had so I didn't have to walk by the same people's lockers every day. I didn't have to worry that they would see me over and over and notice, oh my god, who is this guy? Maybe I should talk to him because I didn't want to talk to people. I just kept getting more and more afraid of waking up in the morning and going outside just because it everything more and more just felt like unfamiliar territory so I would just retreat to my room and I would stay in there for most of the day and even then once I was in there I wouldn't be happy because I would look at myself and I would beat down on myself saying oh my god this is an imaginary problem but you're still stuck in your room all day what does that say about you and I went to some very very dark places emotionally in terms of just self-loathing regrets I would stare in the mirror in my room and just hate the person that looked back at me and say you are absolutely pathetic you're worthless yada 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 Eventually, that kind of snowballed into panic attacks and mental breakdowns, which were very, very frequent, to the point where I was frequently crying by myself, hyperventilating. It really did feel like my world was just starting to collapse around me. And for a very, very long time, I kept that hidden because I was growing up in a family where, like most people, my mother was kind of the emotional support, or she tried to be, while my father was a bit more emotionally distant. He loved me with all his heart, but he just didn't know how to express it. They were very sensitive people, and they didn't know how to process something like their child has a mental illness. So for a very, very long time, I hid it. And when I finally got brave enough to tell them, mom just locked herself away and cried, and she kept saying, I failed my son because he's not happy, and I told him to be happy, because that's all she could comprehend. While my dad said, you have a mental problem? No, you don't. Don't talk like that. This is just a phase. Grow up. So immediately, that set me back a long time, because all I knew is the first proactive step that everyone had told me to take, all that had happened was my mom cried and thought she did a terrible job at parenting, which broke her, and my dad had just gotten angry at me and told me that it was all in my head. So for a very long time, I just was at a standstill because I wasn't sure what to do, I wasn't sure where to reach out, and no one really seemed to listen, and the two people that had preached to me their entire lives that they were always there for me, God bless their souls, they just didn't know what to do with this. And I just felt myself drowning more and more. And my parents noticed me just getting mopier and mopier and just being sad and angry at myself all the time. So they started doing things that they thought would help me feel better, but it just angered me more because all they thought social anxiety was was just, oh, the kid's sad and he's just not happy with the person who he is. So they gave me the whole chin up and be happy about yourself sort of uh, speech every single morning. And it just felt patronizing and forced, which is something I know we can all relate to when help just doesn't feel genuine. I was uh, shooting a film, and something didn't work out, and I absolutely lost it, and I had what I can only uh, describe as a complete psychotic breakdown. I started crying, and I just started hyperventilating, and over the course of three to four hours, I was just thrashing on the ground to the point where my father had to physically restrain me. I was delirious. I could barely recognize both my own parents, and I was just screaming my head off just over and over screaming that like I was going to die for again just hours and hours and hours to the point I calmed down a couple hours later and I fainted and 
I woke up. My parents at this point were freaked out because they just knew that I was feeling sad and suddenly this just happened. And I just remember I woke up and I went to my room and I just sat there for days and days. I didn't get up. I didn't want to go to school. I didn't even leave my room for meals. My parents had to like bring up some food and I was eating like maybe a half a meal a day. I was borderline catatonic just because I was just done. I was done processing my emotions. I was just tired of feeling and I just didn't know what to do next. After a few days, I finally got out of my room and I sat my parents down and I legitimately said, I need help. And if I don't get help, I am going to die. And it was at that point, maybe it's just because I had scared them too much that they finally decided, okay, let's get you help. And even then, I don't want to pretend like things magically fix themselves because both of them, my father in particular, God bless his soul, he just treated therapy as like, oh, the kid fooled himself into being sad. It's a waste of money, but if it helps him, it's fine. And I think what really helped them see how much of an issue this was is when they saw me getting better. Because they didn't realize just how bad I was until they saw me getting, you know, better and actually starting to smile again. That was that was really where I turned the corner. And I'm not going to pretend like it was a smooth journey. It, it was a very bumpy road. But that was just the point where I started to see a few positives in my day-to-day -day life. And it's just been improving since then. For... Anyone that doesn't know if they have social anxiety and are being told by people that they might or they might not, I just really want to encourage people that if you do feel like that, please reach out to someone, if not parents, then friends, because people will listen and people will help you get the help you need, because it's never just a phase. If you find yourself like in situations like I did, it needs to be addressed, and getting help is not a sign of weakness anymore, especially nowadays. Now people go into therapy and go into rehab should they require it, and they come out stronger. And I just encourage people to take that step. Our third and final storyteller is Deepika Sriram, communications class of 2019 and current first-year student in Northwestern's speech-language pathology graduate program. Deepika reflects on her experiences through high school and college and her journey towards forming a positive relationship with herself. There was a distinct moment where I felt like I was finally okay. And I don't think I expected there to be. Every day for months, I would wake up with this heavy feeling on my chest, a combination of fear and this pit in my stomach and constant guilt over like everything and nothing at once. One day, I just woke up and that weight was gone. So our like family was visiting India at the time to prepare for my sister's Arangetram, which is like a big Indian classical dance recital. And to most Indian families, Arangetrams are kind of like the same level of like grandness as like a mini wedding. So like my parents would literally call it your first of like two weddings in the family. And it takes like literally over a year to prepare for it. And so we were in the thick of that every day it was just like non-stop shopping or assembling the music for it or visiting relatives and so one day i just like woke up and got out of bed and like brushed my teeth and whatever that's when i realized like suddenly that that heaviness wasn't there anymore that anxiety that i'd just been like feeling every single day for like months and months and months was like finally gone i finally felt free and like i finally felt like I meant it when I said, I'm going to be okay. I was finally no longer afraid of being by myself. 
I've come to realize that I can only fully enjoy being by myself when I feel like I'm being like supported by others and when I have like a positive relationship with the people in my life that I care about but also most importantly when I have like a positive relationship with myself and my own emotions. It's been a really long multi-year journey to get to this place where I have this sort of awareness about myself. My experiences with mental health began in high school. Despite growing up in like a very loving household, I developed such a poor relationship with myself. Socially, I definitely struggled for a while. Um, That along with low self-esteem and like the general shittiness that comes with being like a teenager was where the roots of my social anxiety began. And it was sort of the accumulation of like small things over the years, like things people would say and like the kind of lack of belonging I felt throughout middle school and high school and not to mention like just the fact that my body was changing and everything felt too big for my face and I constantly felt uncomfortable about my appearance and I had this absolutely cringeworthy fashion sense. I mean I was obsessed with this bright purple Aeropostale sweatshirt that was like plaid and like and I would wear them with these flare jeans except the flare jeans were also like too big for me and so like it just looked like like a ton of fabric around my legs and I would just like shove them every morning into these like gray faux Uggs. It also didn't help that I went to a very very white upper middle class public school because for a long time I also hated the fact that I was brown too. Not necessarily that I was like Indian because that had its perks and I grew up pretty religious which is something that I actually grew to love about my upbringing but it was more so like no matter what I would never be a popular kid because I would always sort of physically stick out in some way and you know on the other end it was also hard living up to like the pressure of being brown too. There's this whole notion of being the smartest in your class or whatever and I just felt like I wasn't. I drove myself absolutely crazy trying to get a 4.0 that my health suffered and my self-esteem suffered because I was like, am I the only person who's working my ass off and it's still not good enough? So I like wasn't popular, but I also wasn't this like perfect brown kid either. So what was I? Like, I just felt like I had to fit into like one category or the other. And I felt like I fit into neither. And I like hated myself for it too. Sometimes I felt like I couldn't breathe. It started out small, like whenever I didn't get like an A on a test, but soon even like the sheer amount of work that I had to do every day was too much for me because I was just so burnt out and tired all the damn time. And I would have these episodes where I would just like cry and not be able to think or breathe or speak for a while. And I didn't realize it for a long time, but I was having panic attacks. It continued until like I'd say like the start of my like second semester of senior year when all my like applications were in and things were like finally coming to a close. That was when I finally started getting control, I felt like, over my mental health. Coming to Northwestern was a new beginning for me. I felt like I would always be perceived as this like awkward, insecure kid if I stayed in my hometown. So I just like got up and went to a college nine hours away from home where I literally only knew one person and I thought it was the only way for me to kind of 
reshape my identity. I like no longer wanted to be that awkward brown girl. I wanted to be cool. And the thing about college is that you can spend literally 24 hours a day around people. And I think I literally did that. I would wake up and my roommate would be there and I'd go down to the dining hall where I knew like probably 15 people at any given moment and it would be classes with people and doing homework with people and then we'd go out sometimes every night from Wednesday to Saturday and I kind of look back at it as like my hyper social phase. I didn't go out during high school like I never went to parties or like had a ton of friends and I was like finally this is my time to do all the things I had never done. During spring quarter I started dating someone and we were in a relationship from freshman year until soon after like my sophomore year ended and at first he was an incredible part of my support system but like at the same time I think in relationships where both partners are suffering in some aspect of their mental health the importance of viewing your significant other as just like a support system increases by so much I think there's a difference between respecting and being grateful for each other's like time and capabilities and sacrifices and like demanding those things in a relationship. I felt expected to give more of my time and my energy and everything into taking care of him and like in turn he said he'd take care of me but at that point like my mental health struggles started resurfacing again and in reality like I didn't need him to take care of me, I needed to take care of myself. I needed to be the one putting energy back into rebuilding myself and the other relationships in my life that were important for me. And it grew so tiring so, so quickly and I felt myself feeling anxiety when I saw him, anxiety when I didn't see him or wasn't texting him because I felt like I was letting him down by not being physically present at his like lowest moments. The breakup was hard, and in a lot of ways, the aftermath of the breakup was even harder. But I don't think I'd be in the place I am today if I hadn't made that choice. Slowly, bit by bit, I started strengthening the different relationships in my life that I'd kind of let weaken over the last year. I worked on communication with my parents and my sister. I was so scared at first because... In Indian families, it's kind of like a one-and-done deal. Like, leaving a relationship isn't something that's, like, taken lightly. But once I opened up to them, they really lifted me up. I mean, once I bridged that communication gap, I finally felt like I was going to be okay. And, like, looking at them and knowing that they'll love me in such a, like, fierce and unconditional way because of, like, not just, like, you know that saying like not in spite of all your flaws but like because of them I think like it was honestly that because like it motivated me to like learn to love myself too I started reaching out to my friends in the South Asian community and worked on building a better relationship with them at first I think my relationship with my South Asian identity was just like I felt confined by it but I think really like undergrad helped me grow into it and kind of look at it as like a community to be myself in and I can kind of be my own unique person within that community. I also started looking back to religion as a way to internally heal. Forgiving myself was hard. I kept asking myself things like, 
why didn't you realize you weren't in a good place earlier or why didn't you leave or why didn't you notice the signs earlier if i'm being honest it's taken me over a year to forgive myself and let go of the guilt and fear and hurt and i think i fully expect all of those feelings to resurface like here and there but i think now i honestly know how to process them and that's something i don't think i've ever been able to do my relationship with myself has always been growing and evolving it's been so up and down but i think right now i'm in a place where i finally feel happy about who i am and i find myself being happy being by myself which is something that i've never actually fully enjoyed doing before i think i can look at myself and say that i'm not a bad person i'm definitely not a perfect person either and now i think i realize that that's okay the way that i look at it is i'm not quote unquote like cured of my all my problems with mental health or anything but i think now if i go into a period where i'm feeling lost or alone or not okay at least i have that external support system and that support system within myself to be able to handle it A big thank you to Divya, Tejiv, and Deepika for sharing their stories, and to all the folks at I Am Shakti who helped make this episode happen. Shout out to Poor Man's Yacht Club who made all the music for this episode, and check them out on Instagram at PMYCTunes. Finally, thank you for listening, and remember, all cats have nine lives. Share one of yours. <laughs>